you all tonight. I hope you got a handout on your way in. James chapter 4. Would you look at James chapter 4 for a second? Uh, the outline is uh, from chapter 5 of The Peacemaker. This is a, a book we've been going through now for uh, several weeks. And uh, it's a tremendously helpful book on, pro on resolving conflict in the church, resolving conflict in personal relationships, resolving all kinds of conflicts. So um, I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Tonight we talk about the source of the conflict. Where does conflict begin? Where does conflict start? And we've talked about this a little bit. We're going to detail uh, this all the way out. Um, can someone read for me James 4, 1 through 3? Tim, go. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Do you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Yeah, you may. You ask uh, amiss. You ask for the wrong reasons. You ask evilly. That right. So where does where does uh, the root of our conflict? We have to understand that the reason that we have conflict is because of our hearts. So uh, what I have there on the blank is our hearts are the wellspring of our thoughts. The hearts are the wellspring of our thoughts. Can someone read Proverbs chapter four and verse twenty-three? Someone got that for us. Proverbs 4.23. Ryan. Yeah, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flow the issues or literally the wellsprings of life. Your life comes from within you. This is a very, very important distinction and Christians, as we face conflict, as we face issues, we must confront this head on because the world does not like this thinking. The world does not like the idea that the problems that we have or the conflicts that we have come from within us. They would much prefer to say that the reasons you experience the trials you have are because of your past, because of outside influences, because of society, because of your parents, right? Because of the stress you're under at work, you blame everything on everybody else. You don't actually take responsibility. What the Bible tells us we have to do is we have to look inwardly. In fact, he says the root cause, this is from the book on page 102, the root cause of conflict is unmet desires of the heart. Unmet desires. When desires are not met, this causes great conflict. This causes great conflict um, for us. Um, in fact, um, this is my summary of what he says here. A change in circumstance will not cure conflict because the source for conflict is inside, not outside of us. Um, many times, uh, I shouldn't say many times, there were probably once or twice I remember having a conversation in my office when I was a youth pastor here of a parent came to me and said, my child does not get along with anyone in the youth group. We're going to find another youth group to um, be a part of. I said, okay. Um, they're not going to get along with people in the next youth group either. Um, everywhere they go, they had conflict. Everywhere they went, and they didn't get along with anybody. It was always, it was always, everyone was so mean to them. They were, you know, 
uh, it was always a problem. Uh, and the parent had, had just listened to their child and assumed that everyone was always mean. And they never once stopped to consider, wait a second, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's my child's fault. Maybe, it's our, maybe if problems follow you wherever you go, maybe you are the common denominator. And there's some, like, that's a hard truth to listen to. But at the same time, you have to say, well, hey, at least there's hope in that. Like, I, can, I can't control what other drivers, my dad used to tell me this when I would drive. I was, I was terrified when I started learning how to drive that I was going to get hit by somebody. Um, because, you know, you're a brand new driver. You, you just, that's the first thing I always thought of. And he said, look, you can't control what anybody else on the road does. You can just control what you're doing in your car. So you make sure that you keep enough distance in front of the person, person in front of you. You make sure you go the speed limit. You make sure you don't, uh, you're not, uh, we didn't have cell phones, but you know, you're not distracted driving. You do your job and you just ignore everybody else and you def- be defensive in your driving. And you do, you can't control the people. I could drive out there and be hit by a car and killed. I can't help that. That is beyond my control. I can control the things that I do. So, so there's a lot of hope in saying, hey, guess what? The reason you have so many conflicts are coming from the unmet desires of your heart. It's not because of society. How, how effective are you going to be at changing society in order to change the conflict that you're experiencing? Yeah, good luck with that. It's not going to happen, right? So we need to deal with the things that we can deal with which is the root of conflict is our heart. And when he talks about hearts in this book, he really gets into this uh, the theological realm. When he talks about the desires, the unmet desires of the heart being idolatry. Okay, idolatry. Now, when we typically think of idols, I don't know what you think of, but you might think of like a little statue sitting in a corner you burn incense to, as some sort, or maybe a big statue somewhere. If you've been to a foreign country, you've seen idols um, I've even driven by houses here in Rock Hill. There are some people from certain Asian cultures that actually have idols in their front yard here in Rock Hill. I've seen them. And so um, I assume they're from um, one of those uh, Asian cultures that does that. But uh, the, the, we think of idols here, and we'll define idols in a minute. But I want you to see the progression of an idol. What does an idol do, and how do we see it work itself in our lives? An idol begins with this. It begins with, I desire. Okay, I want something. It begins with the desire of the heart. And there are two options that happen when you don't get what you want or what you desire. I need someone to read Psalm 73, 25. So go ahead and turn there. The first option is the right way of doing things. When you don't get something you want, you have two options. The first option is Psalm 73, 25. Who can read that? Okay, yes, ma'am, Sherry. Okay, good. We can trust God and seek fulfillment in Him. This is the first thing we can do. We can seek fulfillment in God. So you say, you know what? I didn't get that promotion at work. That's okay. I still have my Lord, and I'm I'm still saved, and I have a home in heaven, and even if um, I get uh, rejected by once again, uh, the Lord is good, and, and God loves me, and God loves me more than I love myself, and God has a plan for me, and so I can trust Him and find my fulfillment in God, not in myself, not in finding uh, some sort of success. Uh, he's, he makes some points here that we should ask God to help you grow no matter what the other person does. James chapter 1 talks about, my friends, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So no matter how a person responds, no matter how that person responds to you and your unmet desire, um, you can ask God to help you grow. You can also continue to love that person. 
You can continue to love that person. Um, it's hard to love people who refuse to give you what you want, especially if it's not something bad you're asking for. It's just they are not, um, they're not meeting a, a desire that you have in your heart. You wait for God to open the door for progress at a latter time or at a later time. So it's just important. Sometimes you have to, you have to just tell yourself, I have to continue to love this person. And if you take this course, God will bless you and make you more like Christ. All things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He knew, He also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. God's purpose for you is Christ's likeness. He's going to use the various circumstances in your life to make you more like Christ. And it doesn't feel good when that's happening. It feels a lot like trials. It feels a lot like pain. So when you don't get what you want, you can trust God and seek fulfillment, or you can keep fighting to achieve your desire. You can dwell on your disappointment, and you can allow the other person to control your life. That's not a good option. And this is if you allow your desire to control you, if you allow your desire that's unmet to continue to, to, to work itself into your heart, it's going to become an idol. And the progression of an idol goes from I desire to... I demand. Okay, this is where you start to get into idle territory because there's nothing wrong with desires. Desires are God, many desires are God given. Um, but demand is different. Demand comes from the belief that we need something. There's your key. Okay, how many of you were ever taught? Um, about when you were maybe in um, high school or maybe uh, even a church, he talked about a hierarchy of needs. You ever heard about that? Yeah, yeah, right. The hierarchy of needs, right? And, and, and what's the principle of a hierarchy of needs? It's that you have certain needs that, that need to be met, right? And if you don't have those needs met, what, what, what should you do? Those of you who are familiar with this, base, big, big picture concepts. Well, someone's not meeting your needs. You've got to find somebody who does. Like, I need to be loved. So I'm going to find somebody who, who loves me. And if I'm not being loved, well, then I need to find someone who does love me. All right? If you're not, if you're not loving me enough, then you're not a good spouse. So I have, I have needs, and you're not meeting those needs. Okay, what do we actually need? This is not in the book, but let's talk about it. What do we actually need? Food, clothing, shelter, right? And Jesus says, having food and clothing, let us there with be content. You know, and, and we talk about um, being content with these things. When we talk about needs. I, we often hear this word. I often use this word wrongly myself. But in our, in our culture today and in marriages, people use this word all the time completely wrongly completely incorrectly. They say, I need you to listen to me. Okay, what they mean is, I want you to listen to me. And because this is a desire that person is not giving them, they demand. If you just switch the word need to demand, you'll see how bad it sounds. I demand that you listen to me. Okay, I demand that you take me somewhere. I demand that you love me. Okay, you, you understand what you're doing with that. When you say, I need, you're requiring something of someone else, and you're saying, you, if you don't fulfill that requirement, what does it give me permission to do? It gives me permission to sin. 
Okay, I can be angry at you because you're not fulfilling my need, because it's your fault. Have you ever, you, you see how that works? Yeah, Helen. Say that again, find somebody who can meet that need. Right, you're saying, I, I am, I'm going to you know, dump you and go find somebody else who will meet my needs and who will appreciate me for who I am. <laughs> this, you know, that, that's the way you, it, it, it gets crafted. But, but often, often um, uh, I will give you a, a, a cheat here, uh, a cheat code. When, we, when, we, uh, when I meet with couples, I'll often ask them, I'll say, um, fill, fill in the blank, um, I just want a wife who, what's your answer to that? Meets my, needs. I, <laughs> meets my needs. I want a wife who, you know what they normally say? I want a wife who respects me, you know, who keeps the house clean. I've heard that one. Who, who, um, who doesn't have to be told over and over again, you know, something, whatever. Okay, uh, wife, what is it you want? I just want a husband who will listen. I need a husband who, fill in the blank. And, and what, here's the cheat code uh, that I'm giving you, the cheat I'm giving you, that, that any answer except I want a husband or wife who honors the Lord and glorifies God is a mistake because that's your goal for your spouse. That's your goal for every relationship you have is that they honor Christ. And it's not that they fulfill your felt needs. So when we see our unmet desires as something we need or deserve or must have so we will be fulfilled or happy, we begin to demand that other people meet these desires. Here's your blank. We see these unmet desires as something we need or deserve and therefore must have so we will be happy. We begin to demand them. And this is the I demand part of the idol. Um, I, I put a quote there from the book of what is an idol. He gives an idol definition. He says, an idol is anything apart from God that we depend on to be happy, fulfilled, or secure. Idols can arise from good desires as well as wicked desires. It is often not what we want that is the problem, but that we want it too much. He goes on, he says, idols biblically are something that we set our hearts on, that motivate us, that master us, that rule us, that we trust, fear, or serve, something that we long to pursue even more than God. And it's interesting to me that I do think sometimes these desires can be fine desires, good desires. Like, is, it, is it wrong to desire to be loved? No, of course not. It's a natural desire. But is it, is it wrong to demand? I think it is. You're, moving, you're taking this out of it. You're saying, I demand that you do this, and you're making this uh, basically an excuse that you can sin. So here's Here's what he gives us. He gives us these x-ray questions to reveal idols of your heart. You may say, I don't know what idols I have in my heart. Well, here's some questions to help you think through that. Uh, number one, um, what am I preoccupied with? Okay, what do I find myself thinking about all the time? Okay. How would I answer, if only blank, then I would be happy? So only I had a better job, then I'd be happy. If only I had a new car, then I'd be happy. If only my wife would leave me alone, then I'd be happy, right? If only my kids would behave, I'd be happy. Like, what your blank is there is probably close to an idol, if not an idol in your heart. What would I want to preserve or avoid at all costs? Okay? Where do I put my trust? Is it money? Is it family? Okay? What do I fear? What am I afraid of losing? When a desire is not met, am I frustrated, anxious, resentful, bitter, angry, or depressed? 
or are you okay? Um, oh, I had a professor in my seminary class one time who talked about this with a counseling class, and he was talking about why this is such a good, the idea of an idol is such a good, like a god you're worshiping is such a great analogy. He says, because when, it, 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 like he, he talked about it, it was a, there was a, a college athlete who was extremely talented. It was going to go pro, play professional ball, and then uh, injury occurred on the field, and he's done. His career's over. Went through severe depression. And the reason he went through this severe depression is because uh, he came out of it, but he said, when I went through that severe depression, my God died. I want you to think about what he's saying. When your God is sports and achievement and, and winning, and then that is taken away from you in a second, your God has died. And when your God dies, the God is what you center your life around. Whatever you center your life around is your God. And when it's, it's, it's a wheel and it has one spoke and everything's centered on that and, that's, and that, one, uh, that one hub and all, all the spokes are connected to that hub. And when the hub of your life gets broken and, it, and it, everything falls apart. And his life, he said he had to put his pieces back together because his God died. Now, Maybe ask yourself, what if some, if there, is there one thing in my life where if that shattered, if that broke, if my marriage fell apart, then everything would be lost? Well, maybe your spouse is an idol. Because you can glorify God even if your marriage falls apart. Okay, because it doesn't take two for a marriage. To, sometimes it takes one person for a marriage to fall apart. I've seen it. I've seen, you know, and a, and a wife or a husband is saying, my, my spouse did terrible things, ran away from me, and I, I don't know what to do. I can still glorify God. I can still honor the Lord if what I love is taken away from me because my God still lives. Does that make sense? My God still lives. He still sits on the throne. This is not the God of my life. Whatever it is, it's important to me. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying I don't love it or desire it. I'm saying it's not the God of my life. So if your career stalls out, you get fired from your job. If you lose a limb, or, you know, if you get, lose a child, all the terrible things that could happen. Um, is there something that you would get very angry about? What do you fear? Uh, or when a desire is not met, do you react this way? Do I want something so bad I'm willing to disappoint or hurt someone to get it? These are often questions that might be associated with um, even uh, addictions kinds of things. People will willingly do things and pursue things that they know are hurting people. So how can I tell what motives rule my heart? <clears throat> well, two simple questions. How do I feel when my desires are not being met? Right? How do I feel? What are my emotions? How do I react? What am I doing? Do I get angry? Do I get quiet? Right. Do I get really short? Um, how do I feel when my desires are not being met? How do I react when my desires are not being met? Okay. So far, you see idols lead from my desire to I demand. There's a couple more steps. Any questions so far or any, any comments? Yeah, Bill. I, I'd just like to say if we understand in our own mind everything that you're sharing, that I understand personally that I have to realize everybody that I'm dealing with or I'm confronting or sharing with, they have the same problem. Right. They're dealing with the same thing. And then you think of unsafe people. 
that don't have the Spirit of God in them, that, that doesn't enable them to grow in Christ, I mean, what can we expect? That's why yeah. we have to show humility and love to these dear folk. We're trying to reach you, whatever, because they have no one to look to or no help or don't understand anything that you're sharing. Yeah, and it's it, because a person who's ruled by the Spirit can have victory in these areas. But if you don't have the Spirit, then what choice... Your, who, who is your God at that point? You are. Right? If you are the center of your world, or your children... This is one... Uh, we, I used to say I was going to make a cartoon, like one of those single pane cartoons for Saturday morning comic strip. My mom and I were... When I was in high school, I used to referee soccer uh, out at Cherry Park. And one time we were standing out there, and I wanted to make a single pane thing of all the parents shouting at their kids and call it Saturday morning worship service. <laughs> because, because it was. It was Saturday morning worship. I mean, these parents, they're wearing like Braden's the best, you know, shirts. And I'm like, oh, Braden's your six-year-old kid. Okay, all right. Got that shirt made for him. That's great. I mean, I know, I'm glad you... I mean, I love my kids too. But the, but the, the, um, the amount of, of worship, it can not just be yourself. It could be like, uh, you touch my kid, you're dealing with... Yeah, I've seen these parents. You better not... Met. Like, I was a referee, right? If I call, if I call Alf sides, I'd, I'd hear an earful from parents. I'm like, look, they're like seven. Like, let it go. It's, it's not a big deal. You know, it's, but, it, but it, is, it is a big deal because what am, I, what am I touching? What am I offending? Who am I offending? Their God. And if I'm offending and blaspheming their God, you better believe they're going to come out against me and be very, very irritated with me. See, everyone's religious. They're just religious about different things. So if you, right now, people, their identity is their God. Like who they, they, they think that they are God, they can identify however they want. They can, they demand that you uh, call them certain things or do certain things. It's a very, very egocentric, I am the center of the universe, I determine what's real kind of attitude. So, so we have to be very careful that, you know, we can easily see that. But what I'm saying is, is that this is pervasive even in Christians. Uh, we have little gods set up, and maybe, it's, and maybe it might even be uh, in a spiritual sense, like my ministry. Uh, there's, I'm so thankful here at our, heart, at our church that, and I will say this, in a lot of churches, you know what the biggest... Um, the biggest struggle in this area is it's the music ministry because somebody owns the piano and you don't touch the piano unless you go through so-and-so. And those of you who've been in other churches who've been around churches long enough, you know that's the case. There was an old saying that Satan fell out of heaven into the choir loft. I mean, that's, that is, that is a, a, a regular thing. And we've always, and I'm so thankful that our music ministry here, we really push a lot of people to serve in different areas. Nobody owns the piano. Nobody owns uh, certain ministry people serve, right? But in, but some people they get like their ministry, and it's like you touch my ministry, you better better look out. And it sounds good to them because they feel very self righteous in this. But all I'm saying is, when you go from I desire to I demand, you're moving towards uh, towards an idol, towards becoming an idol in your life. Let's go to the next one, okay? The next one is I judge. See, this is where you go. You say, okay, I want it give it to me, you're not giving it to me, you're bad. Okay? It's the judgment of, I am judging you for this behavior. Sinful judging is often marked by feelings of superiority. That's your first blank, superiority. Indignation. Condemnation. 
bitterness and resentment. And sinful judging often involves speculating about the motives of other people. I know why they did that. I know what they're doing. You, see, you can see it, right? You see what they're doing. They did that because they wanted to get back at me. Oh, yeah, they've been, they've been planning this one. They've been, if, you, if, if people only thought as much about you as, they thought, as you thought they thought about you, is what I'm tempted to say sometimes. You know, pe- people aren't, in the, in the grand scheme, most people aren't scheming and plotting, right? But, but some people think they are. Oh, I see what's going on. The judgment, resentment, speculating about motives. Sinful judging involves an absence of genuine love. Because uh, James talks about this, uh, did you not know there is one judge, and when we judge, we're playing God? This is not talking about correction, correct correction. We're talking about judgment. When, we, when judging really becomes a problem is when we uh, start judging others because they are not fulfilling our desires and meeting our quote-unquote need. So here's the progression. I desire, I demand, I judge. The last one is I punish. And in this book, one of my favorite quotes uh, in this book is he says, idols always demand sacrifices. And so when someone fails to satisfy our demand and expectations, our idol demands that he should suffer. So what does an idol do? It, it, it tells us that person's not fulfilling your desires. Okay, give them the silent treatment. Make their life miserable. Like, do something mean to them. Um, talk bad about them. Start a rumor. Shout at them. Be ang- sinfully angry at them. Make them suffer. Make their life miserable. And maybe then they'll give you what you want. So this is where... Our hearts, the idol factory is one called it, right? Wellspring of life. Out of our heart comes our desires, and this is why we have the conflicts we have. Our desire turns into I demand, I judge, I punish. This is an idol of our heart that we need to deal with. So how do we overcome idols? We have a couple minutes here. Let me just, I want to get started in this. I don't think we have time to finish it, but I I want to give you some hope. I don't want to just sit here and talk too much negatively about uh, this three vehicles of God's grace to overcome idols. I need some people to look up these verses. So one person look up Hebrews four twelve. One person first actually Philippians two thirteen. Then someone else Galatians six one and Romans fifteen fourteen. What does the Bible say here? Are God's vehicles of God's grace to overcome idols? Hebrews four twelve. Okay, Ron. Okay, good. So, as we talk about these, um, uh, what, what does he say here? His, his Bible is what I put. God's scripture, the Bible that he gives to us. This is the first, the first thing. The word is quick and powerful. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The Bible will reveal an idolatrous heart and he'll show you how to properly worship God. God will show you through his word your idolatrous heart. You read God's word, it will pierce your heart. Um, Next, uh, Philippians 2.13. Yes, sir, Tony. 
For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Good. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 15, it's a longer passage, so we're not going to read it, but it talks about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which, uh, which teaches us, or who teaches us through the Word of God. Um, and, and the point here is that the Spirit will help us do three things. Number one, it helps us understand the Bible. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It does the work of illumination and revealing spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So the Spirit helps us understand the Bible. The Spirit helps us identify our sin. It convicts us of sin. That's the second thing the Spirit does. And the third thing the Spirit does, according to Romans chapter 8, is it gives us power to live the Christian life and to live in godliness. So the Spirit gives us power to, to understand the Bible, to identify our sin, and to give strength to pursue godliness in our life. Romans chapter 8 talks about the power of the Spirit in living. And so the Holy Spirit is a tremendous vehicle of God's grace to overcome idols. And thirdly, Galatians 6 1. You can read that. Okay, Jenna. Okay, and then Romans 15, 14. Really important verse here. Yes, ma'am, Sherry. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Okay, so let's talk about the Romans passage first. Paul, talking to the Roman church, says, I'm confident of this, you brethren, that you also are able to admonish, that is to instruct and to correct one another. And where does that happen? In the church. Here, among the church body. You also are able to admonish one another. Who's the one another? That's us. And then Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if you see a man overtaking us in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness, let you two also are tempted. In other words, when we see people who are struggling, we ought to go to them and try to restore them because we're concerned about their spiritual walk and their spiritual faith. So the, the first one is the Bible, the second one is the Spirit, the third one is His church. The church is a vital instrument that God uses in order to grow you and help you with your idols of your heart. So you should surround yourself by brothers and sisters who can point out your faults and lead you to a better spiritual life. And that's what this is all about. That's why you should be in church. That's one of the reasons you should be in church is because of the benefit that, uh, that ha- this, there'll be in, in revealing uh, spiritual, spiritual um, uh, idols or, or, you know, idols of the heart, we should say. Now we're going, we're close on our time here, so I'm going to stop. We're going to finish practical steps for identifying and overcoming idols and the last part of this next time. But what comments or questions do you have about, about this idea, about idols, about idols of the heart, or anything like that? Any, any or questions, comments, ideas, additional insight, anything? Yeah, Helen. Absolutely, and it isn't something. It's something that can happen so sneakily, right? It's just anything that you start to center your life around. Anything that you start making. We talked about identifying an idol earlier. 
But yeah, it's so easy. It's so easy. You don't even realize. It's not like there's a ceremony that takes place. I am dethron- you know, dethroning God and placing golf as my new idol of my heart. You know, that doesn't happen. That's not something that happens like in, a, in a, um, some sort of event. It's like one day you realize that you're not pursuing God. You're thinking about other things or you've made a decision. You sinned. And when you sin and make a decision, like an overt sin decision, a lot of times that is revealing an idol in your heart. Like, what did you, what did you, what were you willing to sin to get? Sometimes it's approval from people. This is big with younger people, right? It is big with olders as well. But you forget how, how difficult it is as a high school student, like, and college student. Like, you just want people to like you. Like, you don't want to be weird. And you're just like, I just want people to like me, and I don't want to be strange. And so you'll do anything to fit in. And, and if it's doing something bad, it's like, yeah, I'll do that because I don't, I mean, I don't want to be the odd guy out. I want to fit in this crowd. I want people to say, yes, you're one of us. And that is a huge idol in that person's heart is approval from a group and belonging. And they, they've, for, they've forgotten that they belong in Christ and their identity in Christ. And they're worshiping these people and they're worshiping their identity at that group instead of worshiping the Lord. And so, you know, these are things that really, really are, they, they usually reveal themselves. My, my experience is my personal life and also with others is that usually it reveals itself in a moment. There's some sort of decision or something that reveals an idol in your heart. And when that happens, you need to take, take note of that and allow God to, to work. Okay, good, good comment. Anything else before we close down? All right, thank you so much for your good attention. I hope this is helpful to you. This is super helpful for me. It's, it's such a great book. It's such a great um, thing to talk through. Very practical, very helpful stuff as we consider uh, what God's Word has to say about conflict. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that we should center our worship on you and that you have given us everything in, our, in your Word that we need, uh, that we may pursue life and godliness. We pray for your blessings on our lives, uh, the people who are here and people watching us online. We thank you for them joining us as well. And Father, we just ask that you work so we can have harmony in our church, harmony in our relationships to promote um, a Christ-likeness and a right perspective on you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your love and that you are deserving of this worship. And um, we pray you'd help us to identify the idols in our life. Uh, We thank you for the word, for the spirit, for our church that all works together.